So good morning once again. We're in the book of Acts. We're continuing our study today in the church and earth. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And uh, the, the title of today's message is to listen. Is listen, rather, I'm sorry. But what does it mean to listen? Um, you know, the standard dictionary definition of listening is to give attention with the ear, attend closely for the purpose of hearing or to give ear. I think this is pretty obvious, but I think sometimes when things are obvious and we've known them probably our whole lives, we, we tend to miss out on some of the nuances. But it also means to pay attention, to heed, to obey. Um, often, you know, children don't always obey their parents. <laughs> you know, as you know, you have to say it over and over and over again sometimes for them to listen. But to listen also means to wait attentively for a sound. You know, you're listening for that bell to ring when you're a kid in class and want the school day to be over. You know, you're listening for the phone to ring because you're expecting an important phone call. But what are some uh, things that listening does? Well, it can protect us. You know, if you're walking down the street and you're listening, you're going to hear that semi-truck coming by. You know, I always laugh when I see someone driving with both headphones on. You go, that's probably not the best idea because you can't hear what's going on around you. And I speed up and pass them and get away from them. But um, it can also inform us what's going on around us or we can learn knowledge. You know, when we learn something, a lot of times it's by listening. Uh, sometimes we learn by doing. I tend to like both. I like to listen and hear and maybe see the instructions first. And then I like to do it. And then I can learn it. Maybe it ties back to playing a lot of Legos as a kid. I don't know. But listening, we can also enjoy what's around us, um, whether it's music. You listen to music we were just listening to and worshiping to. Maybe if you're going on a nature hike and you can hear the crickets and the sound of nature that you really don't hear when you're in downtown D.C. or in a populated area. You hear a lot of noises, a lot of language, a lot of other things going on that, that definitely isn't always peaceful. Uh, maybe a movie or family or friends, but uh, have you ever sat around and just listened to silence? Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes you realize, oh, there's a ringing in my ears. My hearing's probably going a little bit from listening to all that loud music. But there's a sound of silence. There's a sound of silence. And there's something special about being quiet in silence. But tying in with that, listening really requires us to be quiet. We can't listen if we're not quiet. If we're talking, you're not listening. You know, uh, if the movie's playing and someone comes in and starts talking in the middle of the theater, everyone goes, shh, because you can't hear. You can't hear what's going on. You're missing the movie. I think the same thing can really be applied to when we come to the Word of God. When we come to hear what God might have to say to us, we need to listen. You know, a lot of times at dinner, maybe we wolf down a meal and we don't taste it. We come home from a long day at work, we sit down, <laughs> scarf down, maybe even a delicious steak dinner, but at the end of it, we don't even realize what it tasted like. Was the steak good? How was it cooked? Was there butter under potato? Was there not? I think the same thing goes when we come to our time of study. We can get into the Bible, we can wolf down our devotional time, we can wolf down the message, or we can hear the message, and yeah, I know this is what was said, and this is what the Bible verses was. Maybe you could recite the whole passage that we're going to be in, but maybe we didn't hear from God. Maybe we didn't actually sit and listen to Him. You know, I think it's important that when we do spend time in prayer with the Lord, that occasionally there are times when we just listen. And nothing weird, nothing, you know, thinking about your navel and all this new age stuff, but just sit and listen and say, hmm, maybe God would minister to me. Maybe God will remind me of a verse. Maybe you just need to sit and be quiet and let this stew and God will percolate something in your heart. I think that um, a lot of times we talk to God and we don't listen. We don't hear what he would have to say to us because prayer is communication with him. You know, and on the flip side of that, how many times have I gotten into trouble by not listening? Someone said, don't do that or 
don't do this or make sure you file your taxes by this date or whatever it is and you might get in trouble on the other side of it but on the other side how many times have i been spared trouble just by listening you know cops said slow down next time or there's a speed trap over there or whatever the case may be where we where we listen you know i think it's interesting that even in proverbs uh 1728 says um, I might have even shared this verse before because I love it. It's so good. But it says, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered uh, perceptive. Again, the fool doesn't say anything, but because he's quiet, because he's listening, because it seems he's paying attention, even if maybe he has a hidden earphone, he's listening to the ball game in his ear, he appears attentive. He appears wise because he's at least willing to listen. And I think that that's a problem that we have in our day and age is that we don't like to listen. Or when we've been down the block or around the, around the block a few times, we, we don't like to listen to advice or things that are said. Uh, we think we know it all sometimes. And that probably just speaking of myself, but it's very good to listen. And on that, what does it mean to be a good listener? Has someone ever said, hey, you're a good listener? Or man, you don't listen to me. You know, I think a good listener is attentive, they're responsive, you know, when you have a conversation with someone and they don't even say, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, you wonder if they're listening to you because there's no response there. Uh, maybe they ask questions, they dig a little bit deeper into what you've been saying, or they consider what you've said, and go, hmm, I have to wonder about that. Is this a good business deal? Is this something we should do? Let me see if my, you know, calendar's free. There's, there's some consideration there. But I think the end result of listening is ultimately doing. It's ultimately doing because we've heard, we understand it, and now we're going to do it. I think sometimes the most frustrating thing is when we're in a situation where we need to be listened to, where there needs to be listening, and someone's not listening to us. And has someone ever said to you, or you ever said to maybe your spouse or your kids, you're not listening to me. You're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you're not listening to what I'm actually saying. And maybe it's in a, a, a tiff we have with your spouse. Maybe it's something else that's going on. But the, it's a miscommunication then. Because listening is important in communication. If we're not listening, we're not communicating. Um, you know, I think these days and age, this day and age, people like to talk a lot about themselves. I mean, if you've ever been around someone who just keeps talking and talking and talking, you're kind of around someone right now who just keeps talking and talking and talking, when is this going to be over? But it's not always bad. But sometimes you can't get a word in. Sometimes you're in a conversation with someone and it's just about them for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours. And you can't get a word in. And sometimes that's needful. Sometimes the person has a need and you need to listen to them. Sometimes they just keep on talking. But let, us, let again, that not, eh, not us. Man, it's not a Monday, is it? Let that not be us with the Lord. You know, when, when we come to the Lord, let it not just be us talking and talking and talking. I need this. I need that, Lord. And yes, the Lord hears us. The Lord listens to us. And he's glad we're coming to him. But I think he has something better for us sometimes. If we would just sit and listen. Um, you know, today Stephen gives a message and it's something that he says, listen, and I think it's something that we should all listen to. Uh, it reminds me of what Jesus did after the resurrection. For time, we will turn there, but it's in Luke 24, 13 through 32, if you want to read it later. It's when, it's after the resurrection, there's a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he shows up and starts walking with them, and, and they, don't, they don't recognize him. It says that their eyes were kind of blinded to him. And uh, he goes, what's the matter? And they go, haven't you heard about, you know, what happened with Jesus and he died? And then he began to share the entire gospel with them from the beginning to the end. And even when they get where they're going, he indicated that he could keep on going with them and share even more with them. But they were like, come with us. Let's go have dinner. And then they realized who he was and, and he disappeared. But it said that, man, didn't our hearts burn within us 
while we listened to what he was sharing on the road. And I think that that's something that even in the sense of what Stephen's going to share with us today, man, wouldn't our hearts burn for the things that God is going to speak to us about? We saw last time in Acts, we saw the deacons were installed uh, because real ministry was going on. Widows were being taken care of. Uh, the church was growing. The ministry was growing. People's needs uh, were being met. But the apostles couldn't do everything, and so they had to appoint other guys to begin waiting the tables. And these guys were full of the Holy Spirit. They had a good reputation, as we saw. Uh, and one of these guys, Stephen, really kind of uh, rose to the top. He was the cream of the crop, per se. But the religious people in the area, again, this seems to be a theme in the book of Acts where God begins to do a work by his spirit through people and change people and reach people that the religious people get really upset. They go, hey, this, is, this doesn't fit in our mold. This doesn't fit in our box. This isn't under our control. And they begin to rise up. And we see another sect of religious people rise up against Stephen and they bring him before the high priest and a council. And they bring false witnesses against him. Again, because we saw that he had a good character, a good witness, um, uh, a good reputation. And they bring this false witness against him. Um, but they said that his face was like an angel. And this time we'll get to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through Stephen, I pray. And uh, let's start in Acts chapter 7. Uh, in the first uh, eight verses. But uh, Lord, we just ask that you to help us to listen and hear from you, God, because Lord, we need to hear from you in everyday things. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to them, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised them on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So we'll stop there for now. We see again here that Stephen is with the high priest. Uh, he's before all these guys, and they bring these accusations against him. And uh, again, we see a high priest being used by God, an unbelieving high priest per se, being used by God to spread the gospel, to bring about more truth, um, or bring the truth to light per se, uh, the gospel. Remember with Jesus, uh, the high priest said at that time it was expedient that one man should die for the whole nation. Uh, God used the high priest to talk about Jesus. With Peter... Uh, we just read a few chapters ago, you know, Gamaliel said, if this is of God, guys, you can't fight against it. If it's not of God, it'll die out. But it's of God, man. You don't want to be found uh, to fight against it. And here again, we see with Stephen, what does the high priest say? He says, are these things so? These guys have made some claims about you. We've heard them speak blasphemous words in verse 11 against Moses and God. They stirred up the people that Stephen was a blasphemer and speaking against God and speaking uh, falsely, uh, false teaching of the Old Testament. But this guy says, are these things so? And man, that's an open door right there. Stephen's been sharing the gospel. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's been doing the ministry. He's saved. He knows the Lord. He gets falsely accused and all of a sudden God gives him this wide open door. 
and Stephen didn't have to jam it open. The high priest gave it to him. The high priest said, is this so? Give your rebuttal, Stephen. And man, I think uh, when the, there's a wide open door for the gospel, Stephen uh, didn't play around. He, he, took, the whole, he took the whole deal. Um, again, I'm going old school with paper notes, so I'm a little fumbling with them, so forgive me. But, uh, you know, I think Stephen was an all or nothing kind of guy. Stephen, uh, you know, seemed to take this opportunity and take it all the way. You know, he was sold out for the Lord and he wasn't about to come up short in his worship, service, or discourse. He could have just said, nope, they're not true. But instead, we're going to see there's 52 verses of Stephen's response to this question. Are these things so? He clarifies, as we're about to see, what this message is and really what the whole Old Testament teaches, um, which is kind of interesting that he can sum up the whole Old Testament, 52 verses. That's pretty good. But he says, brethren and fathers, listen. You know, he appeals to them as a Jewish family, countrymen, as people. He doesn't come back to them with some sort of railing response. He doesn't have the New York sarcasm. He says, brethren, fathers, guys, I respect you. Listen, please listen. Please listen. You know, he relates to them. And that's, again, as we've seen before, so important when we share with people that we relate to them, that we're not holier than thou, but that, man, we're the same as you, except God lives in us. And we want you to know the truth. It's not that we're here to judge you, but we want you to know the truth. And he says, listen, I like the way the King James puts it as hearken. Hearken, that's an old word. I don't know if anyone says hearken anymore, but... Um, the word is a, a kuo uh, on Strong's. It's so funny. I love the way the guy pronounces the words. Uh, it's just, it's correct, but it's just, I just love his tone. Uh, but it means to be endowed with the faculty of hearing. By inference, not deaf. And he says, listen, you guys aren't deaf. Hear this. Hear me. Use your ears uh, to consider, to understand, to get by hearing, to comprehend that they would listen, that they have ears. God's given them not only the ability to hear, but to understand. These guys are obviously smart. They're scholars. They know the Bible. Um, but man, there's such a difference between hearing, listening, and understanding. You know, we can hear something and not really be listening. We can listen to something because we've heard it and not really understand it. You know, it's in one ear and out the other. Um, I hear that's the case when your kids get to be teenage level. It's in one ear and out the other. I worked in youth ministry a lot. We can see that. The stuff that we see the parents say to them would be in one ear and out the other. Um, and us too sometimes. We had a lock-in. You know, don't go on that side of the building. Where would they go? That side of the building. But if it's too loud, you're too old is a saying. Um, you know, and music's too loud, you're too old. And I think sometimes that's, uh, that's the case whether you're young or old. But man, again, nothing is more frustrating sometimes than having to repeat yourself over and over and over. Don't do that. This is what this means. This is what I mean. Um, especially if you're on the workplace or uh, someplace that's important. But again, um, all three must be done. Hearing, listening, and understanding. And Stephen wants them to know how important this message is. Stephen's brought before his council. He knows that they could do pretty much whatever they want to him. He could be in a lot of trouble. He could be beaten up like the other guys were. Who knows what they're going to do at this point. But the best part is that he's not concerned about his own skin. That when he's there and the high priest opens the door and he gives his response that we're going to get into in a minute, he's not concerned with himself. He doesn't come up with some cover story. He doesn't back down from the message. He doesn't water it down and try and make it palatable to them that he could give them a half truth and not. Um, but he goes full force and goes, this is what the Bible means. You know, he, he doesn't back down when the priest is basically saying to him, what did you say? What did you say? You know, sometimes my kids will be getting loud and having fun and playing. And in a playful way, I'll come around with them and say, what's going on in here? 
what's going on here? It's so much so that my daughter doesn't sometimes. My wife will tell me that during the day, Mia will come in uh, with like Jacob and her and go, what's going on in here? Playing around. And that's sort of what the high priest is doing. He's going, what's going on? Are these things true? Are you blaspheming? Are you cutting down Moses and changing and uh, lying to the people? That's not the case as we're going to see. In verse 2, Stephen says, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to us uh, appeared to our father, excuse me, Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. He says, uh, the first thing he does is he frames God for who he is. He doesn't build up anything else. He says, look, this is who God is, and this is what he does. He says he's the God of glory, and that word glory is do- uh, doxa. It's an opinion, judgment, or view, splendor, or brightness. It's majesty. It's the most glorious condition that this isn't just God, our friend, or God, our buddy, as some people might say these days, which I would disagree with, but he's the God of glory. He's the God of glory, that the most glorious, most holy being in existence ever appeared to Abraham. And he says, our father Abraham, to the father Abraham, that, man, this is the guy that we all look back to, that he's the one who started our nation. But check it out. When did God of glory appear to Abraham? Was it when Abraham was full and righteous and doing everything God had asked him? No, it's before Abraham was even called out. You know, we know that holy in the Bible means to be called out or to be separated. It's not just um, some condition, but it's really a position before God or before things that you're holy because you're separate. But God appeared to him before he was called out because God had to call him out. He appeared to him uh, before anything, before Abraham, Abram, in fact, did anything. And I think that's exactly opposite of what the religious teachers were teaching those days that they were saying that you had to do. You must do before God will do. You know that saying, God helps those who help themselves. Help your, begin to help yourself, pull yourself up, and God will give you the strength to go the rest of the way. No, we don't have the strength to go the rest of our way. God is going to do it for us. God's going to give us the strength to do it, but really, man, can we do anything before the cross? Can we truly get rid of our sin before the cross? No, there's, there's no other salvation, no other resurrection except the one that came through the cross. And that's religion, guys. Religion is always going to say, you must do, and then God will do. You must do. You know, God says to him, get out, go where I will show you. Does that sound familiar? God shows up to somebody and says, come with me, follow me, go to a place that I'm going to show you. It's just the same as the disciples. The same way that Jesus showed up to the disciples, in a sense, is the same way that God showed up to Abraham and said, hey, come out to a place that I'm going to show you. Follow me. And I think the first step to listening is in the be in the place to hear God. And that could be anywhere. That could be anywhere. Where did God re- first reach you? Where did God first reach me? You know, how many times did I hear the God, God's voice, so to speak, or God calling me through a believer, or through the Bible, or through something on TV, and I didn't listen? But we remember that place when we all first listened, when we all first obeyed. Um, you know, God says to Jeremiah, 1, 5 through 8, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now, when did God call Jeremiah? When he was a kid. Jeremiah wasn't some major scholar. He wasn't uh, a, a rich man. He was a young boy. And God showed up and said, hey, Jeremiah, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. Again, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
that when Christ died for you, well, none of us were born yet, I don't think. I don't think any of us are 2,000 years old. Maybe you are, and you just hide it really well. You go to the gym a lot, but God died for us when we were sinners. God knew we would still be born thousands of years later, would still rebel against him, would still sin, and still said, hey, I'm going to die for these people that they can come to me. But God calls him out, and the first place Abram goes is Haran, and that's not really the promised land. That's not all the way there yet. It's kind of halfway there. And I think that's interesting because Abraham didn't even fully listen. He listened. He kind of got out a little bit and waited for his father to come around. He stopped short. He said, all right, let these other things happen. And then, all right, now I'm, full, now I'm ready. Now I'm fully to go. And that's sometimes really just like us, guys. When we listen a little bit, we test the waters, and then eventually come all the way. When God says something to us, we listen. We hear it. We begin to step out a little bit in it and go, eh, all right, let me just test a little bit because... I don't really trust God, maybe, or maybe there's some other things that are competing, or maybe I just haven't slowed down enough to be quiet and to listen to what God might say. You know, Matthew 8, 21 and 22 uh, says, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, it sounds kind of harsh, right? Hey, you know, don't worry about dealing with your parents. Don't worry about dealing with your loved ones. Just follow me. Is that really the tone of Jesus? No, no. You know, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. It hurt Jesus. His best friend died. But you know, Jesus knew that our priorities had to be about him. Not that we're not going to care for our family, not that we're going to care for our friends. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about that, that we need to take care of our own household and our friends and things, but that we need to obey right away. That even if it seems like a dire situation and God says, you need to go take care of something else, that you need to go do what God's asking us to do um, because our first priority needs to be following him no matter how far out and how unknown the end of the road is in front of us. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He had dwelt in Mesopotamia and God's calling him to go all the way to this promised land and he kind of gets halfway down the highway and goes, oh, let me stop here for a while. This is about as far as I want to be away from home right now. But it's interesting that as he goes there and as God calls him out to this place, that even then there's no inheritance in it, verse 5 says, that God takes him out of his land and it says they didn't even really have a place to put his foot in the first place. That he just he was dwelling in tents, living in, in his own little land for a while, and there was all these problems with people around him. You know, he had to rescue Lot at some point. Uh, it was just uh, it's just really interesting when you get into it. But I think that speaks of man, when God is going to take us out of all we know and love, and not even going to give us a place to own when we get there. God, I have this mansion. God, I've got 50 acres in the wilderness. No one can hurt me here. But you want to call me out to somewhere else and I'm not even going to own a place down there? I'm going to be staying in a hotel? What is that? What is that? Man, I think sometimes that's why we're afraid to listen fully because we're comfortable in our surroundings. And not that God doesn't like to bless us with things and take care of our needs and that we live in comfort. I mean, I think America, in a sense, has had so much blessing because we've built our society on godly values. And God says, yeah, I'm going to bless that. Of course I am. Um, but man, when God calls us out, don't always expect it to look bigger or look better. Sometimes we have to give up the big things on earth to get the better things in heaven. Because why? Because his inheritance, Abraham's inheritance, God was saying, is bigger than Mesopotamia. It's bigger than Haran, and technically it's bigger than even the land that your descendants are going to give. I'm going to give your la this land to your descendants, but your inheritance is even bigger. Your inheritance is bigger. You know, God isn't a real estate agent. God wasn't bringing Abraham out to show him a couple new condos and have him pick the one that he liked most. 
He was calling him out to give him a bigger inheritance, an eternal inheritance, and on top of that, to be the father of the nation that would bring the Messiah one day. You know, 1 Peter 1 and 2 calls us pilgrims, sojourners. And as believers, that should be our life. Not that we're not going to have a mortgage, not that we're not going to own things, not that we're going to maybe even live someplace for our entire life, but really that this place is not our home. It's not our final resting place. You know, before we were moving, I remember the Lord ministering to us that this is not our final resting place. Not that we're not going to be here for the rest of our lives, per se, but that, man, in the comfort of moving and stepping out and coming away from where we had spent most of our lives to go, that's all right, it's different, it's new, maybe we'll be there five years, maybe we'll be there 50 years, we don't know, that's up to God, but the point is, is that, man, I'm not to set my heart on finding a big plot of land to live here and make my settlement down. Maybe God will bless us with the house one day, but my settlement's in heaven. And that I always need to keep that in mind, no matter what. And I think as believers, we need to keep that in mind, that we're not going to be weighed down with things in life. We're going to be freed up to go forward in things. You know, even recently, uh, we've been, uh, I stepped out and started car shopping again for Ashley after we had kind of uh, started a couple months ago, and I put it on hold as we had some other things to take care of. But I started doing it again, and I'm like, all right, you know, I got pre-approved for the loan. I got all these other things and, you know, everything was going good. We were shopping some minivans and stuff and we kind of settled on the fact that, oh man, we're going we're gonna to be getting a minivan. They're great, but I never thought I'd be buying one, but they're awesome in a sense. And I'm going to the dealer. I'm like, Lord, you know, it doesn't seem to be any other way, but if this is your way, thanks for the loan. Thanks for all these other things. You know, I know you'll, you'll make a way and get us through this. And I'm there, I'm looking at the van. It's a nice van. It's decent condition, low miles and everything. Talking with the dealer, nice guy. It was like, uh, I contacted my brother and he got me, uh, hooked me up with a guy in the area. And um, uh, I'm there and I get a text from someone saying that, you know, hey, they wanted to bless us with something. They were trying to sell their car and they wanted to bless us with some of the profit. Maybe, you, you know, it wasn't going to be much, but something to use me for a down payment on a car or something else that we needed. I was like, you haven't sold it yet? I thought they had sold it months ago and months ago. I'm like, no. I was like, I'll buy it from you. And they said, really? Okay, let me see if I can get it back from the auction. And the way it worked out, there was a clerical error last week where the car didn't go to auction. It was supposed to go to auction. They were able to get it back, all this whole rigmarole. And we were able to get this car for like half its book value. And it's in great condition and one owner. And it's just, it's been a blessing on all these other things. So I got to make a trip up to New York next week. I'm going to do this crazy Labor Day trip. But it's so funny. It's like, I knew, in a sense, I, we prayed about it. We wanted to make sure it was the Lord and we weren't just like finagling things. But it was like, they didn't know I was car shopping at the moment. You know, they had no clue. They, they didn't even really think to text me. They said, oh, I just had this impulse and I texted you just to let you know. And it's just all this whole thing is working out. And then the, the person whose car it was is just so blessed by it. They're blessed to be a part of it. We're blessed because it's a great car. I'm blessed because my wife's needs are met. Other pe- It's like uh, we're giving the Jeep to our in-laws basically. And they're, you know, it's like, it's just crazy. It's just when, when God does something like that and we're able to just sit and listen, even in a little way, it blesses so many people. It blesses so many people. And that's, in a sense, how I know God is in something because it's not just, you know, if you picture a flower and it's got all these petals, it's not just one petal of blessing. It's like every single direction, there's a blessing going on. But man, that's the way we need to live is that we're not, we're not tied down to anything. Again, not that there's anything wrong with debt or owning things, but man, that these things don't tie us down to getting in the way of, uh, of what God might have us do or go um, or be a part that basically at the drop of a hat of God would call us, that we'd be willing to step out and go. And that's what Abram did. That's what Abram did. You know, I think it's interesting too that the Levites, this whole tribe, the descendants, one of the tribes, the descendants of Abraham, who God promised the land to, didn't get an inheritance either. 
They didn't get a plot of land. They, instead, their inheritance was to be the, the priesthood. And Abraham, again, was the, uh, the father of the nation. You know, and that says that you know, our inheritance is better than any 401k, trust fund, hand-me-down, beach home. It's salvation. That when we spend time with the Lord, um, I lost my time here. I was afraid we were going to go an hour over. <laughs> that when we spend time with the Lord, that our inheritance is forever. That it's greater than anything that God might ask us to give up here on earth. That, man, if we have to give up something here on earth, guarantee God has something better for us. It may not be uh, a bigger or better earthly thing, but guarantee when you get to heaven, you know, Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven. But really, God said that this land was for his descendants, the Jews. God says here in this area of scripture that they would eventually go into captivity in Egypt. You know, Stephen uh, talks about Joseph in a little bit. We can read more about that in Genesis. But that God says, I will judge the people that bring you into captivity. That they go into Egypt, they get their needs met as a sea. But eventually, why does Moses have to come? Because the people are in captivity to the Egyptians. They stayed in this place that maybe they shouldn't have stayed in. Uh, but God says that I will judge them. And that's... That's really God's heart all the time, that God's judgment is best. You know, David chose God's judgment. Second Samuel, we won't read it for time, but we see that uh, when David had messed up, and I think it was when he counted the people, God said, hey, I'm going to bring this judgment on you, on you and the land, and I could do it three different ways. And David says, well, let me choose your hand, Lord, and not the enemies. Let me choose your hand, because he knew that God's judgment was better. And we see all throughout Scripture that God used nations to judge Israel. God would bring in foreign invaders, per se, to come and, split up the nation and do war with them and carry them into captivity when they didn't listen, like the Babylonians. And yet God said at some point, because the Babylonians dealt so harshly with them, that he would judge the Babylonians. I mean, there's no Babylonian empire anymore. You might say, oh, well, Iran and Iraq and all that stuff. But really, the Babylonians don't exist anymore. God judged them. I think it's important that we remember that when we do listen to God, even if it, it does mean that judgment might come upon us one day, that his mercy is new every morning. That when that judgment does come, he always, he always has a promise attached to it. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, hey, you know, I've got a plan for you to prosper you after this judgment. God promised to bring them out. You know, God's judgment always comes with a blessing. But verse 8 says, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. It wasn't that there was this covenant going on and because Abraham fulfilled his part of the covenant that God brought him out and brought him to the promised land and made him the, the, the father of the nation. But after that, after that, God brought, did the covenant. God did the covenant. It was circumcision. You know, Abraham had to obey God to get God's promise. You know, it's important that when we listen, when God tells us to do somewhere or go somewhere, that, you know, to get God's blessing, we need to be obedient. There's a tie between obedience and blessing. We can't expect to be disobedient and not do our chores, so to speak, and get our allowance at the end of the week. That when God wants us to be obedient, well, there's... Choose this day. Serve God and be blessed or choose Baal and have your own way, you know. But that doesn't mean that God's promise was based on Abraham's obedience. God's promise was there. Abraham just had to choose whether he wanted the blessing or not. And what is the result of Abraham's obedience? Well, we get the 12 tribes of Israel and eventually the Lord Jesus. But who are these 12 tribes? We have Reuben, Simeon, Levi. These guys become the priestly tribe, you know, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. Uh, there's Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, you know, his sons Ephraim and Asher can be mixed in that list, and also Benjamin. 
But when you think of this name of the patriarchs, these guys are thinking back to their forefathers, like we might think of George Washington or Ben Franklin, and have these glorious mindsets of them on dollar bills and that they were perfect in all their ways. And, you know, neither here nor there. But I think that's the thought that these guys had about their 12 patriarchs, even though they knew the stories, because these guys weren't all righteous. I mean, hardly. I mean, Joseph was the man among them. He was the one that the Bible says nothing wrong about. But these other guys, they sold their brother. They lied to their father. They put blood all over Joseph's coat and lived with this for all these years, all these years. You know, you think that God would have cut them off and said, nope, there's one tribe, tribe of Joseph. <laughs> that's the way everything's coming through. All you guys, you, you failed because you were disobedient and sinful. But that's not God. That's not God. You know, God's promise is not dependent on us, guys. It's not dependent on us. God's promise to you and to me to bless us and bring us home and give us a new life is not dependent on our actions. Yeah, we have to obey it and follow him in a sense, but it's not going to waver. You know, if we mess up, we can always come back. We can always come back as long as we're living. You know, even in a weird way, God blesses Abraham's illegitimate son, Ishmael. God promises Abraham children. Abraham kind of jumps the gun and listens to his wife in this weird circumstance. And he has this illegitimate child that God actually uses as a picture of the flesh. But he still blesses Ishmael. He makes him a father of a nation. It's not the promised nation. Messiah doesn't come through him. But it still becomes a great nation, in a sense, tied to this promise to Abraham. You know, again, they don't get the promise like Isaac did. Um, but God still keeps his promises. You know, this, this, this idea of trying to fulfill God's, God's promise to us in the flesh, man, it's still bearing fruit to this day. We have the Arab nation fighting against the uh, Israelites because of that. There's this fight. They both want the same land. One land the people was promised to, the other land, well, they have the father Abraham, and so they tried to claim right to it. But as we see here, it wasn't even Abraham's land. It was to his descendants through Isaac. Now let's go on in verse 9 through 16. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and he and his fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid him in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So again, we get another little history lesson, and we see uh, a little bit more of the stories that are, are taught in Genesis. But it says here in verse 9 that the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with them. That these patriarchs, they became envious of Joseph. That these guys who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, and I'm sure they knew this promise, still just, they didn't listen to the promise. They didn't heed the promise. They were still concerned about beating up goody-two-shoes little Joseph and throwing him in there because they hated his dreams and they hated the way that their father favored him. Not that the favoring was correct, but sincerely, man, they, uh, that's pretty messed up. But they were envious of Joseph, and things, as we see, haven't really changed for their descendants. These Jews here, these religious guys, these sons of the patriarchs, so to speak, are still envious of the sons of the promise. They're envious of the people that are being blessed by God, just like Joseph was blessed by God. Joseph had the coat of many colors. Joseph had favor with his father. What do these guys want to do? They want to beat up 
Joseph, so to speak. They want to beat up Stephen. They want to beat up the apostles. They want to beat up the church because they see God's favor and God's hand on their lives. Um, and man, they're envious of what God is doing through the lives of the church. Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And a reminder for us, Romans 11, 17 through 21, and if some of the branches were broken off, meaning like the Jewish people, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, meaning becoming part of this family, this family tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off, then I might be grafted in. Aren't I special? Uh, that's my commentary. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. That man, we've been grafted into this lineage. That many of us here are probably not physically Jewish at all. But we've been grafted into this promise that was given to Abraham and his descendants that the Messiah would come and we would be a part of the family of God. That there is no Jew or Greek anymore in, in Christ Jesus. That we're all one. We're all one. But Joseph was sold into bondage and says, but God was with him. And I love that because it was all part of God's plan. Joseph getting thrown in that ditch, getting sold, going into slavery, being accused, having to flee temptation, going to jail, eventually coming out to save these people. It was all part of God's plan. And you know, God's plan doesn't always make sense, especially when we're in the middle of it. You know, can you imagine being thrown into a ditch? God, is this you? I'm in a ditch. I'm getting sold to be slavery now. All right, I'm out a little bit. Someone makes a false accusation, the whole story. But it's okay. That's God's plan. You know, a lot of times we're in the middle of something we think is absolutely ridiculous. But God's going, relax. It's my plan. You don't see what's 10 blocks down the road. You don't see what's 10 years from now. You don't see the great things I'm going to do through you because I brought you through this situation. You know, God delivered him out of all his troubles, pit, slavery, temptation, accusations, death. You know, he was supposed to have been killed. Potiphar could have killed him for that accusation, but he didn't. And you know what? He becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. You know, as that saying that we've probably said before, that God must break a man deeply before he can use him greatly. You know, God used Joseph greatly. He saved his 75 family members, as we see here, but also all of Egypt was spared this famine, this uh, famine because of the wisdom that God gave to Joseph. Um, you know, others found sustenance through Joseph's suffering. That people found the food that they were looking for, but his fathers didn't. His family didn't. You know, it says that our fathers found no sustenance. What does that mean? They were hungry. You know, they were hungry. There was no more food at the supermarket because of this famine. And, and I think that that also says that God uses practical things to get us going in the right direction spiritually. Again, God will use practical things to get our attention spiritually. God is very simple, I think, sometimes. that Sometimes we, we overcomplicate the methods of God a lot. Not that God is a simpleton. Not that God um, does not create majestic, wonderful things that we're still trying to figure out and never will totally figure out, like molecules and quantum mechanics and physics and all that. God is very complicated in that sense. But I think God is very simple in the way he works in our lives, you know? Simple. There's a famine. We don't have food. Egypt has food. God's brought Joseph to Egypt. Let's go to Egypt. God restores this family through a practical need. Through a practical need, you know? But I think when we don't listen, when we don't repent like his brothers for all those years, 
God allows hard times to come on us to get us to listen. Maybe if they had repented earlier, may, I don't know, maybe they would have uh, gone on America's Most Wanted or something and found or, you know, I don't know, whatever the show is, but to find their brother Joseph and would have hired a uh, private investigator to find out where they brought him. Maybe they would have found him in Egypt. I don't know. But God had a better plan for that. But God had allowed this famine, this heartache, this trouble to come in all their lives that they might be saved. You know, Genesis 50, 20 says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, Joseph says, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as of this day to save many people alive. You know, sometimes we're full of ourselves that we can't hear what's going on around us, that we're in the middle of a hardship, but we're, we're so convinced that we can get ourselves out of it that we miss what God might be trying to do through it, right? Um, you know, the other, yesterday I woke up in the morning thinking the doorbell was ringing. I came out here and was like checking the door and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, the doorbell's ringing. I goes, no, it wasn't. Go, oh man, it must have been a dream or something. But it's interesting that we see this lack of sustenance was also found in the descendants. You know, they weren't really eating God's word. They had the Bible, they had the robes, they, they knew what the story said, but obviously by Stephen's discourse with them, they didn't know what it meant. You know, like Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word of God. If we're reading and we're not listening and we're not comprehending, we're going to have spiritual hunger. We're never going to be satisfied spiritually. We're always going to be going to the next wind. We're going to be the next fat or let me get the next devotional book or the next one because the Bible just isn't good enough for us. You know, uh, like a lot of people who are involved in cults and things, they have the Bible, but They've obviously not read it and understood it for themselves, and they've been deceived by some other work. And, and not that that's you or I, uh, but really they were never satisfied. You know, you guys have seen that Snickers commercial or the set of commercials that you're not you when you're hungry. They show someone all cranky. It's like Danny DeVito, and then Danny DeVito eats a Snickers bar or something, and then it's like a nice old lady. You know, it's totally not her when she's hungry. And that's the same thing with these religious guys. They were not themselves. They were not the children of the patriarch. They were not the children of Abraham because they weren't living off the word of God. You know, Jesus said, I can go raise up some children of Abraham out of these stones over here. I don't need you guys because they weren't listening. They weren't hearing what the word of God was. They weren't living from it. They were living from the law, but the law came after. The word came first. The promise came first. Romans 7.10 and the commandment, which was to bring life, Paul says, I found to bring death. You can't live off the law. The law, us doing, us trying to accomplish is never going to bring us life. It's always going to say, nope, you failed again. Nope, you came way short. But what does Hebrews 4.12, the first part, say? For the word of God is living and powerful. It's about who you know. Joseph's family came to know Pharaoh, it says. His family came to know Pharaoh. This poor little family living out in the middle of nowhere comes into Egypt, and Pharaoh begins to know who they are. Like Maybe they don't have friends. Maybe they don't play games together. But Pharaoh knows Joseph. And Pharaoh knows Joseph's family's in town, and so I'm sure that, you know, they got the free pass to the restaurant. But 75 people, 75 people, this whole large family comes in, and Joseph's immediate family is fed. Joseph's immediate family is saved, and eventually they become the nation of Israel. And that wouldn't have happened otherwise. They probably would have died in that famine if God hadn't allowed Joseph to be there. And again, that's how you know it's God, when a lot of people are blessed by it. Uh, you might not see it right away might be down the road when you go through a really hard circumstance. God brings you through something really hard. And 20 years from now, God gives you an opportunity to share about that circumstance. And people are blessed by it. Maybe you had a, something that happened to you when you were a kid. And God had to bring you through it. And you weren't able to share it confidently and without trouble and you know whatever. And God uses it one day to bless people. I don't know. 
It's interesting, though, that they went to Egypt to survive, but they weren't buried in Egypt, that they were buried back in the promised land. And that's important that their hearts were still where God's promise was, that wherever God brings us, our hearts still need to be where God's promise is, that even though we're on the road to get there, man, our hearts are set to go to heaven. It's interesting, too, that the first step to salvation is listening. You know, what does God have to say about the situation I'm in? You know, we have to listen to that. Am I willing to slow down and listen to hear what his answer is? Or am I so confident in my own ability that, uh, you know, God's voice is overcome? That the noise of the situation, the advice of my friends, the advice of even uh, a spiritual leader in my life drowns out the voice of what God said. Or maybe I didn't go to God first. And I think, again, that's so important. We're going through something, even if it's, Lord, do I get the, the, this kind of toothpaste or that kind of toothpaste, to be ridiculous about it, that we would say, Lord, would you help me make this decision? I don't know what to do. That we go to God first. That God, again, is our first priority. That we go say, God, let me listen to what you have to say. And let me hear you out. And if I'm not hearing from you, let me get advice from other people. Or if I've heard from you, let me go get advice from other people I trust. That it might confirm what I've heard from you. That it might confirm that word to you. Because sometimes we listen and it's just nothing. It's crickets. Sometimes it's just we, our heart is racing so much or our thoughts are racing so much. We're not really able to hear uh, but man, we need to slow down and listen and, and fast if necessary. Take a break from that sustenance. Take a break from that food, even if it's for one meal, even if it's for one day, even if it's for 10 minutes. You say, Lord, I'm going to eat lunch 20 minutes later today just so I can spend a little more time with you and seek you on something. It's not about the amount. It's just about of setting ourselves aside to listen. Because, you know, as James 4.8 says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, that's not... Do this, and God will do this. But really, God's ready and waiting all the time. It's We're the ones who have to slow down. He's He's got all the time in the world to listen to you and I. We're the ones who are uh, busy. Up, oh, <laughs> Jeopardy's on. Up, oh, whatever. We're the ones who need to slow down. So if we would just slow down and draw near to God, I guarantee that we do that, we're going to hear from God. You know, there's been things in my life recently, in the past couple of months, that I had to slow down and listen for. Man, am I, I haven't heard from you in a while, God. I've, I've heard from you in different ways, but I haven't gotten the... The, the direct word that, that I've had that I was getting so often, let me slow down, let me listen. Because again, like that song said, we don't want to step out in front of God. We don't want to get ahead of God's plan. Imagine if Abraham hadn't heard God, or he heard God, or God said the promised land, but Abraham kept going and kept going, or didn't go. You know, we need to hear what God says, and God says clearly before we move. Again, because we want to listen and then do, because if we didn't listen, we're going to get into trouble. We don't want to go in front of God. We don't want to go behind God. We just want to follow like the Israelites and like the disciples. Amen. Father, I uh, thank you for your love and your grace. And I pray that, uh, God, you would help us listen. That as God Abraham listened and uh, the descendants listened and obviously Stephen was listening. Uh, God, let us not be like the religious folks who hear you um, and who go away sorrowful. God, that we would listen and be willing to uh, trust you and follow you, God, because you are trustworthy, not because you're taking away things from us to punish us or anything of that nature, God. You always have something better, but God, would you just help us to listen to you, uh, God, because it's so good to hear from you. We, we can only live by your word, Lord. So this week, as we spend time with you in our word, to God, in our personal time, but also together, uh, God, will we hear from you? Would you answer the things that are going on in each of our hearts and lives? I ask for your blessing on these people here. In Jesus' name, amen.